Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. And uh, so grateful to be here. Just as Joel said, my name is Levi. I serve on staff at the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, really lead strategist over church strengthening. So what we do is we come alongside about 3,400 churches throughout this state and help them advance the gospel of Jesus Christ right where they are planted. That's why we're so excited about what God's doing in the life of Peabine. And I know you're so grateful for your pastor leading you. Can y'all let Joel know how much you appreciate him this morning? You're the man, brother. And I'm grateful to be here. Like I said, my name is Levi. Now, you and I haven't had an opportunity really to meet this morning. So let me just on the count of three, uh, hear what your name is. So just right where you are, I'll count to three. You say your name out loud. I'll feel like we know each other. You ready? One, two, three. All right. Was there a Ted in the house? Did I hear Ted? Okay, I just made that up. But anyway, so uh, we are so glad that you're here this morning and excited about what the Lord is going to do, speaking to each one of our hearts as a matter of fact, uh, this morning when I think about you and I think about me, there are probably some things that we have in common that you're not aware of. For example, I don't know if you were like me, but when I grew up, when I was in school, whenever a teacher would enter into the room, that teacher could say two words. And as soon as those two words were said, it struck fear and anxiety in my heart. As a matter of fact, these two words also struck fear and anxiety in the hearts of every single person in the classroom. And these two words were one of those things I did not want to hear from the teacher. Anybody got to guess what those two words are? Yeah, pop quiz. You're exactly right. Nobody likes pop quizzes. Doing a little preparation for this message this morning to know I actually learned that if you stay in school from the time that you're in first grade until you graduate as a senior in high school, you will take somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 standardized tests. Now that does not include the pop quizzes. That doesn't include the other tests that you receive in class. So I did a little mathematics And I discovered if you stay from first grade until you are senior in high school, before you graduate, you will take somewhere, according to my calculations, about 3.2 million tests. Are y'all with me? Say yes. So huge, right? I'm not a fan of tests. Maybe you're not a fan of tests either. So imagine my surprise, and maybe you'll be surprised as well this morning, when I discovered that we serve a pop quiz God. We serve a God that often gives tests. We serve a God that will put a test in your life and a test in my life. And some of us may even be in the middle of a test this morning and we were not even aware of it. But why does God give us tests? Well, very simply, the message in a sentence is this. God's tests are designed to show his character and strengthen our faith. God's tests are designed, as you see it, to show his character and to strengthen our faith. Now, eyeball to eyeball, I had a negative connotation of test, but I had to literally change my way of thinking when it came to test because of what the New Testament teaches me. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it this way. He says, consider it all joy, my brother, when you face various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now think about that, right? Calculate it to be joyful when you face a test. So this morning when you think about your life and I think about my Christian journey as well, I really want to know 
How can I spot test in my life? And how can I learn the lessons that God really desires for me to learn? That's why I'm so excited this morning because you and I are going to get a front row seat to a test that Jesus gave his disciples in John's Gospel, chapter 6. Now, if you grew up in church, this is a very familiar story, but what has stood out to me in this particular text of Scripture is the elevation of the test that is given directly to the disciples of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to learn some great truths from this text together. So if you've got your Bible with you this morning, say amen. John chapter 6, if you will just stand with me in honor of God's word this morning. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14 is what we're going to look at together today. And as you're standing, we also want to welcome our campuses who are joining us as well. Just so awesome to know what God's doing in the life of your church. So we want to welcome Rossville and Dalton. And uh, just right here, can you guys just say amen to that? That's just so awesome what God's doing through the life of this church. Thank you so much for your faithfulness to the gospel. John chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him, because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. Eyeball to eyeball just very quickly. The Passover is what the Jewish individual celebrated on an annual basis. And what they were doing is they were looking back to God's great miraculous redemption out of Egyptians' bondage into the desert towards the promised land. But if you remember, the last plague that God poured out on Egypt was the death of the firstborn. And what God said to Israel is, I'm going to send the death angel through the camp, and I want you, Israel, to sacrifice a lamb, take the blood of that lamb, place it over the doorpost of your home, and when the death angel passes through, wherever he sees the blood, he will pass over. Now, all of that in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ, the true Passover lamb, would do. Jesus went to the cross at Calvary to die the death that you deserve and I deserve. He was buried and resurrected. And when you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's as if God the Father took the blood of Jesus and wiped it over the doorpost of your heart so that now death, condemnation, and hell will pass over you. Now, come on, somebody. I was just preaching. Did y'all see it happening? That is a wonderful truth. Now, I'm not preaching on that this morning, but that's a great thing, isn't it? Verse 5, my goal is to have you stand up this whole sermon. Are y'all with me? (laughs) Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to, what does your Bible say? Test him. For he himself knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves, two fish, but what are these for so many people? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down in the number of about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. 
Let's bow together. Father, take your word, plant it deep within each one of our hearts that we might be washed clean today, be strengthened in our faith, better understand why you give test to us. We give you this time, and that's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. So you can be seated this morning. Key question of our text is very simple today, and that is, why exactly does God give tests? In fact, we could ask the simple question, right? What does this text teach you and I about tests? The first thing is this, jot it down. God's tests are revealed in our desperate situations. God's tests are revealed in our desperate situations. Right there in verse 5, the scripture says, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Now, this particular encounter between Jesus and his disciples are actually found for us in all four of the Gospels. In fact, in the first three Gospels, when you lay them beside the book of John and you begin to read about this particular account, you get a full panoramic view of what Jesus was doing, as well as what the disciples were doing. For example, in Matthew chapter 14, we read, when it was evening, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Now, the disciples described this place as being desolate. That is to say that it was isolated. It was uninhabited. It was an empty area. In other words, there was no golden corral in sight. As well, the disciples said that the hour was already late. What is being intended here is that the time for people to eat supper had already passed. Now, Jesus was the host of this event. All of them were there listening to Jesus teach And being the host, he should be taking care of the needs of the people. The disciples realized that there was no way we were going to be able to feed everybody. So they said, hey, Jesus, let's send everybody away. As a matter of fact, we know that Philip asked this question, where are we supposed to buy bread so that these may eat? This was a desperate situation for which Philip did not have a ready solution. But remember, God's tests are always revealed in our desperate situations. So how do you spot a desperate situation in your life? Well, it's really simple. Whenever you survey your situation and you realize that you don't have the means to fix it, that is a test from the Lord. What is God asking you to do that you know you don't have the ability to do? Is he asking you to serve in an area of ministry here at Peavine and you're thinking, I don't have the ability to do that? That's a test. Is God calling you to forgive where you've been wronged, sacrificially give to the kingdom of God? Is he calling you to leave your current job? Is he calling you to walk away from an ungodly relationship? Is he calling you to turn from a particular sin and you're thinking, there's no way I can do this? All of those are tests from the Lord. Desperate situations for which you do not have a ready solution. Which leads me really to point number two, and that's pretty simple. I love this one. Our response reveals our level of faith. Our response reveals our level of faith. Look at verse 7. Philip answered Jesus, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. For everyone to receive a little 
The first thing Philip did in his desperate situation was math. He noted to Jesus that 200 denarii, which would have equaled just over a half a year's wages, would not be sufficient to feed 5,000 hungry men, not to mention the women and the children. But you'll also notice in this text that in Philip's mathematical equation, he completely forgot to factor in God. One commentator notes it this way, he was a man of figures, Philip was. He believed in what could be put into tables and statistics. Yes, like a great man and many other people of his sort, he left one huge element in his calculation out, and that was Jesus the Christ. And so his answer, listen to this, went creeping along at low levels of faith. He didn't factor in God. How often in your desperate situation, how often in my desperate situation do I completely forget to factor in God? In fact, how often whenever I face a test, do I not recognize it as a test from the Lord, but instead I begin to say, okay, I've got to fix this situation. And I begin immediately in human wisdom to try to fix things. That's exactly what they were doing here. You know, in our desperate situation, we're always tempted to exercise human understanding instead of divine trust. The Bible says it this way in the book of Proverbs, listen closely. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That is to say, with your whole disposition, Everything about you, rely on, be confident in God and his ability alone. Don't depend on, don't lean on, don't rely on your own intellect, insight, or skill. And then he goes on and says in Proverbs 3, 6, in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. That is to say, in the totality of your thinking and doing, Throughout your Christian journey, look to, listen to, learn from, give undivided attention to God, and he will tell you what your next step needs to be. God is not holding out on you. God is not holding out on me. He is waiting for us in the midst of the test to throw up our arms and say, God, I don't know what to do. Please help. Some of you this morning are in the midst of a test. It could be a relational test, a financial test. It could be a vocational test. It could be a test even in the context of this family of God. And God, by his sovereign hand, brought you to church on purpose this morning to let you know, stop trying to figure it out on your own. Trust in me, the Lord says. Philip's response revealed a low level of faith in Jesus. As a pastor for many years, I've seen this in my own life, but I've also seen this in the life of other individuals who have responded to difficult situations with low levels of faith. Just to give you a few examples of how I have seen individuals respond, perhaps you might find yourself in some of these. Some because of their situation in life It didn't turn out as they had planned. It didn't go according to their preconceived dreams and ideas. And instead of looking to God in their test, they grew bitter towards God and even bitter towards life itself. Some found themselves wallowing in self-pity. And maybe you are that way this morning. And you're asking and you're whining to the Lord, 
God, why did you let this happen to me? You may even be thinking or saying it to other individuals. God just doesn't care about me. God must not love me. God must have forgotten about me. And that I have seen this and it has broken my heart many times where individuals face difficulty in their lives and as a result of a test from God that they did not respond well to, they completely walked away from the Lord and his people. How are you responding to the test, to the desperate situations in your life? In verse 8, the Bible says one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad over here with five barley loaves and two fish. What are these for so many people? Now, this was not a great find from Andrew, not simply because of the quantity that was found, but also because of the quality. Barley was not considered good eaten. It wasn't on par with wheat. When you think of wheat, think of the same thing that I do, and that's wonder bread. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Barley was not like Wonder Bread. In fact, in the Jewish writings of the Talmud, there's a passage where one man says, there's a fine crop of barley over here. And another man answered and said, tell that to the horses and the donkeys. Barley was the bread choice made for animals. And it was typically eaten by very poor people. And the fish here, these are not prize-winning catfish from the river nearby. The word for fish that John used, and I did not know this until I studied this text, but the word that he used describes more of a fish relish to be spread on bread. So like Philip, Andrew was not considering Jesus in this desperate situation. He was only magnifying how impossible feeding those present really was. And again, remember, God's tests are revealed in our desperate situation. And our response reveals our level of faith. Which leads me then to point number three, and that is God's can overrides our can't. God's can overrides our can't. Look at verse 10 and 11. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number of about 5,000 Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed it to those who were seated. Likewise, also the fish as much as they wanted. So when the disciples said it can't be done, God showed them that it could be done. Not one single person left that place without a satisfying meal on that day. God's can overrides our can't. So for the individual here this morning who is saying, I can't serve in that area of ministry, God says, I can through you. For that person who says, I can't forgive that person, you don't know what they've done to me, God says, I can through you. For that person who says, I can't sacrificially give to God's kingdom, I may not have enough for myself and my family, God says, I can supply all of your needs according to my riches in glory. For that person who says, I can't walk away from that ungodly relationship, I would lose my identity without that person. God says, I will strengthen you and your identity can be found in me alone. 
For that person who says, I can't walk away from that particular sin, it brings satisfaction to my life. God says, I am your portion. I am your satisfaction. What you are truly longing for is me. God's can overrides our can't. Now, eyeball to eyeball, when you read this text and I read this text, we see a miracle of Jesus. And we begin to think about our own lives. The disciples were tested. They saw a miracle. You are tested. Are you seeing the miraculous work of God? Here's the amazing thing, right? Oftentimes, the way God responds to your test when you pray doesn't always line up with how you desired the outcome to be. Are y'all listening? Say yes. Can I give you an example of this? Two extremes. My wife and I, we have four children. The oldest is 20. The youngest is 14. That's a prayer request. If you'll please write that down, that'd be awesome. It's also one reason I love traveling now. Can I get a witness, right? So I just tell my wife, honey, I'll pray for you. These kids are yours. All right, so here I go. Our second child, her name is Maddie. When my wife was pregnant with her, she went to a routine checkup, went to the doctor. The doctor looked at my wife and said, I have some horrible news. There is this thing going on in your womb. 100% of the time when this occurs, the baby dies. Now, this is a routine checkup, which is why I was not with my wife on this particular day. She called me distraught, hysterical, crying. You can imagine what the phone call sounded like. And I responded the exact same way. I immediately felt like my heart stopped because now I was in this desperate situation for which I did not have an answer or a way to fix it. So what did I do? What did my wife do? We began to pray and seek the Lord. We got our church praying and seeking the Lord. Many were fasting and praying and lifting up to the Lord. My daughter, this pregnancy and saying, God, do a miracle. Show yourself to be a healer. My wife went back to the same doctor just a about a month later, did the same ultrasound, same x-rays. He came back in. He says, you're not going to believe this, but look at this x-ray and look at this x-ray. What was there is completely gone. Your child is going to be completely fine. Uh, what happened there? God revealed himself as a healer to my family. Look at me. About, are y'all listening? Say, I'm listening. I don't know how far back I can go, but I want y'all to pay attention. There are attributes that God possesses that he wants you to know about him, but you will never know them genuinely unless you face suffering and difficulty. He is a God who heals. I read about it, but I experienced it when I saw it. But did I have to go through a painful situation to see God as a healer in my life? Yes. Now, back up my life, when I was five years old, I had a seven-year-old brother. His name was Lance. He was diagnosed with a brain tumor. My parents took him everywhere to try to find him help. It did not help. He died. My parents were praying. Churches were praying. God, heal Lance. And he died. It's like, all right, Lord, where were you at in that one? Are y'all out there? Now, this becomes huge, right? Because there's another attribute that God possesses. And that is, he is a God of all comfort, mending the brokenhearted. I've read that in my Bible. 
Could it be that God wanted to display that to my family through the death of my brother? Again, there are attributes that God possesses that you will not know unless you experience test from the Lord in your life. Which leads me to the last statement, and i got to go quick here. Number four, God's tests reveal His character. God's tests reveal His character. Now, in this passage alone, there are some characteristics of God that are elevated. Matter of fact, let me just do this. I'm going to read these. This is like participation with everybody. I'm going to read these characteristics of God to you. If you have experienced them in your life, just say amen right where you are. Here's one attribute. He is a God of compassion. He was concerned about the hunger of the people. He knew they were hungry before they ever mentioned it. Look at me for a second, eyeball to eyeball. God knows what you need before you ever say a word. He's a God of compassion. Here's another one. He's a God of provision. He supplied to meet every need. The people had as much as they wanted. Here's another attribute of God in this text. He is a God of abundance. There were 12 large basketfuls of barley and fish left over from the meal. Some point to this as being a foreshadowing of God's salvation to the 12 tribes of Israel. And indeed, the gospel of Jesus went first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. He's a God of abundance. Here's another one. He's a God of grace. Come on now, are y'all paying attention? He is a God of grace. When I think about his grace, it's not only grace that saves, but in this text of scripture, it is a grace that enables service. Listen closely. None of the disciples responded properly to Jesus and the situation. And yet, Jesus allowed every one of them to be a part of the miracle. What is that? It's grace. Now the text of Scripture here says, when the people saw the sign which Jesus had performed, they said, truly, this is the prophet who has come into the world. This particular miracle was designed. Are y'all listening? Say, I'm listening. This particular miracle was designed to point to the nature and character of Jesus. Here's what the disciples should have thought about, that, but they didn't. The disciples should have gotten together and they should have said, hey, uh, I know it's Passover, and I remember, you know, God was using Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptians' bondage. And then they went out into a desolate area. One of the disciples should have been like, does this not remind you of that? And on top of that, wasn't it Moses in Deuteronomy 18 who stood up and said to the people, God is going to raise up from you, Israel, a man who is better than me. And when he shows up, you better pay attention. One of the disciples should have been pointing to Deuteronomy 18 and saying, this is crazy. Because when they were in the desert in the Old Testament and they cried out to God and they were hungry and Moses said, Lord, why did you even bring us out here? The next morning, God rained down manna from heaven and fed them from that day forward. Manna from heaven, what is that? Bread. What is that? Krispy Kreme from Jesus. Can I get a witness? It's right there on the floor. And now, fast forward to John chapter 6. What is happening? Jesus is not making bread rain down from heaven. 
He's enabling bread to be multiplied right out of his hands. One of the disciples should have said, he's doing the same thing that God did. Who is this man? This man performing this miracle was to show every single person that he was indeed the one who is greater than Moses, who was going to be a greater deliverer because he would lead the people not out of Egyptians' bondage, but out of the bondage of sin, death, and hell. And he would carry them not just to the promised land across the desert, he would carry them all the way to glory and into heaven. This is the great deliverer. But the amazing thing, and this is the part that absolutely shocks me, is that Mark records this event, and here's exactly what Mark writes. I hope you're paying attention. Are you listening? Say, I'm listening. Come on now. Are you listening? Somebody was mad at me on that one. They're like, I'm listening. All right, just tell me what you want to tell me. Here's what Mark says about this event concerning the disciples. He says in Mark 6, 52, the disciples had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What? Here they are on the front lines in the front seat, seeing Jesus perform this miracle, and yet they didn't gain any insight? Made me wonder, Lord, how many times in my life have you given me a test to show me your character and to strengthen my faith? And yet I hardened my own heart. I didn't see you. Which means I didn't trust you. God gives you a test and pop quiz. He gives them to me. But he uses every single one of them to show you his character. What attribute is God trying to display to you in your life today. He wants to reveal that attribute so that you will then say, I trust the Lord as a healer. I trust the Lord as a comforter. I trust the Lord as my strength. I trust the Lord as my God. I trust the Lord as my savior. What attribute is God saying, look at me, trust me. God's at work, amen. What's he doing? Let's have our heads bowed, eyes closed if you'll stand to your feet all across the room here. Thank you, Levi, for that incredible message. And um, the truth is, Scripture is clear. We're going to face trials. We're going to go through difficult times. And um, those difficult times are to help us understand the character of God and His ability to get us through those tough times. And also to strengthen our faith and to grow us and stretch us and conform us more into the image of Jesus. And um, whether you are in a relationship with Jesus or you never have started a relationship with Jesus, we all face trials. We believe as followers of Jesus, the only way to get through those things is through a personal relationship with Him. It begins with you understanding that you're a sinner and being willing to admit that. Believing that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day, paying the penalty 
for my sin and for yours. And then according to Romans 10, 9 and 10, you have to believe that in your heart and then you confess it with your mouth and you will be saved. If God spoke into your heart this morning and you need to start that relationship with Jesus, simply tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe in the gospel story that Jesus died, he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. And Lord, right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, we want to celebrate that with you. And so we've just dropped a link in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. Click on that. It's going to ask you a couple of questions. We'll be in contact this week. We want to send you some material and help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. It's been awesome to worship together this morning online. Look forward to our times together each week. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.